Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. Here reading this morning from Genesis 21st chapter 4th through the 20th verse. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of of the slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of the son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that the off- that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and saw a well of water. And she saw a well of water, excuse me. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. The word of God for the people of God. Uh, Without further ado, uh, Grace and Hester, we thank you. We welcome you this morning. Um, And may God bless you in your gifts and the message that you have prepared this morning to bring forth. 
Thank you so much, Henry. Can everybody hear me? Okay, these uh, headphones have uh, gotten me into some trouble this year. So I'm glad that the spirit is in these as much as it is in here. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Henra. Thank you, Darcy. Um, thank you, Marcus, for reading that incredibly long uh, passage of scripture. I uh, appreciate you. Uh, thank you, Aaron, for your beautiful worship. Thank you, the kids, for bringing me a much needed smile today. Um, thank you, Froggy, for being a cat. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> um, but I am truly the theme of 2020. These headphones have gotten me into trouble. Amen. Um, so I am truly blessed and privileged and honored to be here with y'all today at Park Avenue. It has been too long. Um, like Darcy said earlier, I am uh, serving with the faith community and we are doing very similar work to what y'all are doing. We are uh, partners in decolonizing crime, I guess, because I guess decolonizing is always a crime, isn't it, by design? Uh, <laughs> but we are, uh, I'm happy to be with the first church I ever visited when I moved to Atlanta just a little bit ago. Uh, so, um, if you will, let's just take a moment to uh, pray and center, center down once again. This is as much for me as anybody else. God, may the, the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you. Um, and may they not just add to the noise, but add something good to this world that so desperately needs it. Amen. So, this week, and indeed all month long, we're talking about how we can decolonize church. So I'm honored and somewhat humbled that when surveying all the vast resources available for decolonial worship and liturgy and all the sterling talent that is out there in Atlanta alone, let alone the rest of the country, Park Avenue settled on me, some skinny white gay guy who moved to Atlanta like basically yesterday. I do not take the trust inherent in y'all's call, nor the privilege associated with preaching alongside some truly wonderful leaders in their respective fields to, to honor those who have gone before, even in the past few weeks, for granted. So first, let me thank you. I hope that my presence here today can help us along the journey of decolonization and not, as has been the thrust of my ancestors' history, wreak additional havoc. And although we read a substantial portion of scripture today, we did not in fact cover even the majority of the Abraham and Sarah and Ishmael and Hagar and Isaac narrative. I'm sure many of y'all remember it. It's one of those evergreen stories that we always return to in church, but I'll spend a little bit of time, if you'll permit me, going over the main narrative arc. So in the beginning of this story, not the beginning, Abram and Sarai are two very old people who pull the world's first okay boomer and demand that they get something long past the time they should have it. They are barren, which means Sarai cannot, at her advanced age, conceive a child. So instead of cutting their losses and retiring to whatever the Middle Eastern equivalent of Florida is, they decided to impregnate, necessarily against her will, their, as the text says, slave girl, Hagar. Now, Hagar is an Egyptian woman, which means she was likely dark-skinned, what we would today call Black, and a slave to Abram and Sarai. Thomas Jefferson would likely get along well with these two slave-holding nation builders. Hagar bears a child, whom they name Ishmael, and then to show their gratitude, Abram and Sarai promptly cast her and the newborn child into the wilderness. But God sees them out there. Hagar becomes the only person in the Hebrew scriptures to name God, Elroy, 
the God who sees. And then she and the baby at God's behest return to Abram and Sarai. And this, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. And there's a lot of things to unpack there, but we're going to move on to a different part of the story. So later on, Abram and Sarai undergo a costume change and become Abraham and Sarah. And poof, Sarah bears a child named Isaac. She laughs. Abraham nearly sacrifices him. And then they together kick out Ishmael and Hagar again, you know, just for old time's sake. Voila, Israel is born and old white pastors have had sermon fodder ever since. That's my own translation of the, of the word. Uh, I guess I'm Eugene Peterson 2.0. So full disclosure, I am preaching today on the Abraham and Sarah, et cetera, narrative because, well, as was said before, I'm a grad student at McAfee and one of my professors asked us to write and preach a sermon just a precious few days before I was to deliver this one. Now, I, I had already picked this as the topic for that sermon, and because the past few weeks have been chock full of papers and presentations and the impending death of democracy, I decided to plant two flowers with one seed and double dip this sermonic chip. But praise be, because this narrative just so happens to have a lot to do with decolonization, and so it honestly worked out nice. For you see, Abraham and Sarah, founders of the nation of Israel, concerned themselves with something that is fundamental to any national or colonial project, borders. Now, borders, beyond being a failed bookstore or that boundary across which an impassioned chorus of Hillsong's oceans will allow any youth group's trust to cross, are what allows a colonizer to be a colonizer. Borders help name native lands as political categories which then can make them more easy to exploit. A colonizer can only proclaim his or her, but let's be honest, it's mostly his, superiority within the confines that he himself declared to be real. Outside of those boundaries and borders, what are we? What are they? Just another human being like anyone else? Or maybe even a dying minority? Heaven forbid. Therefore, Borders are incredibly important to the building of a nation, to the establishing of a nation, or the oiling of an economic machine. But borders do not have to be simply physical or topographical, by which I mean a border can be a fence or a river, but they can also be cultural. Borders designate one group as an insider and another group as an outsider. And some people operate as both at the same time. Now, an example of cultural borders might occur for some of us, hopefully masked and socially distanced at, trigger warning, Thanksgiving this year. For those of us returning to families who do not share our political or religious views, we may all sit at the same table with ostensibly the same access to the food in the middle. I mean, there is the kids table, but that's, I'm banished to that wilderness for the rest of my life. So theoretically, at the main table, we have the same access. There are no physical borders to speak of, but I bet if you're the lone liberal at a Trump's giving, I guarantee you, you will feel some sense of alienation or of being an outsider. There are no physical borders, but that is the product of a cultural border established on the basis of political allegiance. But the kind of border I'm talking about today, the kind of cultural border is etched not in sand or stone, 
but in heteronormativity. And like so much of the world does, this border revolves around a cut penis. So let's cut to the chase. My sermon title for the class was a little more risque. It had to do with foreskin and circumcision, but because this is a church and we are on Facebook, this, the title today is Body Borders. Now, while I understand it is not the most appetizing thing to go straight from Thanksgiving, cutting turkey to cutting penises, <laughs> it is an important one nonetheless. Because beloved, I intend to bring to you today a queer perspective on the Sarah, Hagar, Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac story. And let's be honest, what good is queer theology without some discussion about genitalia? And what good is queer theology without highlighting oft overlooked figures of whom Ishmael, I argue, is one. I feel like poor Ishmael often gets shafted when we discuss this central story. For a little bit of context, personally, earlier this semester in that class I mentioned, which is Womanist, Feminist, Queer, Hermeneutics of the Bible, taught by the amazing Dr. Ange Reverend Dr. Angela Parker, um, we read, true to the class's name, Womanist and Feminist Perspectives of the Abraham and Sarah story, a portion of which, again, Marcus, thank you so much, we heard today. Now, the women in these readings, fittingly, were the focus, with the womanists zeroing in on Hagar, and the white feminist scholar we read describing Sarah as, as an example of how white women can be and often are both oppressor and oppressed. And these are all wonderful perspectives. I'm very glad to have read them. But as much as I enjoyed reading these analyses of this story earlier this semester, I couldn't help but think, to quote my own pastor, Christian Smith at the faith community, something's missing. So what if we applied to Ishmael and I at all? I feel like Ishmael, again, just kind of gets cast out in our own readings of this story. What if we applied Ishmael a queer eye? Would we find a straight guy? I'm preaching this sermon, so by, by default, no, we would not. <laughs> now, the scripture supports this in saying that Ishmael was a, quote, wild ass. That's the Bible's words, not mine. The wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And the scripture says, he shall live at odds with all his kin. So he, in other words, was rejected by those who were tasked with loving him the most. And indeed, by those who, were, who helped bring him into the world at all. And he continues to be closeted in our canons and gossiped about by too many Christians who see him as nothing more than the forefather of a, quote, enemy religion. We follow the example of Abraham and Sarah and continue to cast him out of our canon for committing the grave sin of doing nothing more than asking us to widen the borders of our compassion. For you see, that is what Ishmael represented to Sarah and Abraham, malleable, fluid borders. He was born in a queer way, the child of a non-consensual surrogacy demanded by a barren woman. Sarah and Abraham chose to queer their family, but then chose not to tolerate the consequences. They could have founded Israel at this, at this crucial moment upon inclusivity, upon expansiveness, but instead they chose to build it brick by brick with heterosexism. Now, Ishmael was queer, not necessarily in that he was same-sex attracted, I don't know why I use that term, but we're in a safe space, <laughs> that he was same gender loving, 
he could have been, but what I mean when I say Ishmael was queer was that he was at once an insider outsider within the family, but not eligible for the privileges that should have been granted him. For you see the patrilineal, which means pat, uh, patriarchy, man, lineage, uh, that privilege usually went to the firstborn son who was Ishmael, but instead Isaac receives that privilege. He was not acceptable by virtue of his existence beyond any choices he made. He was a slave boy with royal blood, an Egyptian who was in Israel, a cocktail of skin color, a living, breathing breaker of binaries. He represented to Sarah her greatest shame and therefore bore the brunt of her deepest rage. He represented to Abraham a fundamental threat to the building of a nation that necessarily has to have people on the outside from whom we are separated. So Ishmael, along with his black mother, were outcast not once, but twice, simply for being who Abraham and Sarah made them and named them to be. It is this, it is if they said, if we cannot define you, we will defy you. And good, nice, acceptable, respectable religious couples have been following that script ever since. Ishmael is queer because he was made homeless by those who made him. Like the 40% of homeless youth who in the United States identify as LGBTQ+, he, upon becoming a teenager, was kicked out and disowned by his own family because his embodied existence signed a check that the love of his surrogate parents would not, not could not, would not cash. You see, it was when Sarah saw him playing with the straight, with the heteronormative, with the easily definable son, Isaac, that she then finally decided to become truly barren, not in her womb, as had been the case, but in her very soul. Now, did she and Abraham fear contamination? Did she fear Isaac catching the gay, as it were? Could she not handle seeing him, a child, love his brother more easily than she could love her own son and therefore couldn't handle the questions that brought up for her? And I don't want to place the blame solely on Sarah. Of course, Abraham has a hand to play in this too, but she's the one that spoke the order and he's the one that made good on it. But no matter the answer, Sarah's greatest crime was not that she couldn't conceive a baby, but that she and Abraham couldn't conceive of a queer child. And Abraham then used his power and privilege to make good on his and his own wife's insecurities. When given an opportunity to expand the borders of love, Sarah and Abraham decided instead to build a wall. Despite filling every criteria for belonging, Ishmael was still denied. He was circumcised by his own father, no doubt, which should have been enough to guarantee his membership in this family and the nation they were building. Circumcision was a very, very noticeable way <laughs> to determine if someone was in Israel or if they were in the other nations that Israel was trying to define itself against. So by being circumcised, that should be an irreversible and immutable way to say, oh, he's one of us. But by being queer, 
all that ceased to matter. Even circumcision was not enough to prevent him from becoming outcast. He committed the unforgivable sin of being other, and his privilege was immediately revoked. Isn't this too much like LGBTQ plus people even today? When sexuality and gender identity start to blossom in young queer kids at their teenage years, most times, and they start to become who they are, too many parents worshiping heteronormativity see them becoming instead a threat. The means by which they were permitted membership in a social group, their gender or sex or race or religion or class or denomination or nationality or, 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 or suddenly become moot. You see, queer people, we live at odds with all our own kin. And I recognize I didn't do this at the onset. So I do identify as a cisgender, uh, gay and queer male. My pronouns are he, him. Should have said that. <laughs> so we live at odds with all our kin. All queer people are precarious because of this. Too many of us also are homeless. Because we can pop up in any nation, any tribe, any class, any gender, sex, race, political establishment, nomination, we pose a fundamental existential threat to those systems that seek to divide and neatly categorize humanity. Queerness makes a parody of, well, everything, but it especially highlights the fundamental absurdity underlying borders. See, queerness is about broadening notions of love and of human capability. That is decolonial. It is about the messiness of family and the inability of a nuclear one to make of itself a nucleus around which everything resolves. That is decolonial. And queerness is an embodied revelation of a God who loves more wildly and expansively than any one religion or doctrine could capture or nation. That too is decolonial. So what is the word then that Ishmael and Hagar, but especially Ishmael in the context of this sermon, in his wildness and his queerness and his homelessness might bring to us today? It's that God blesses him. It's that God sees his mother Hagar in a way that not even Abraham and Sarah are seen and that she sees him, them, God. <laughs> it's that Hagar, precisely because she is out in the wilderness, becomes the only person in the Hebrew scriptures to name God. So Ishmael then stands more in the lineage of Elroy than of Yahweh, a God who sees behind closet doors, who sees into the absurdity of binary borders, who can handle the liminal and the unloved, who is more reflected in the gleam of glitter than the glint of stained glass. Queer people then are the people of Ishmael, which means we are then the people of Elroy. For it is not the lovable, the respectable, the easily definable son who is seen. It is the abject, the unloved, the cast out, the mixed race, the circumcised yet circumvented son upon whom God showers the most abundant love. Queer people, whether or not we are homeless, are wilderness wanderers, for we destabilize every other identifier and caste and class of which we could be and are a part. So when our own families, biological, 
uh, social, etc., forego our proverbial foreskin and circumvent our circumcision, preferring not the ties that bind, but instead the lies that banish, they act like Abraham and Sarah, projecting onto their own children the barrenness of their own hearts. I suggest that if we want to see the roots, if we really want to get at the roots of heterosexism within our Christian faith, we need not start with Leviticus or even with Sodom and Gomorrah, but with Abraham and Sarah. Because you see, they chose nation over nurture. But God, but God, <laughs> as Kehelet would later say in Ecclesiastes, has already approved what you do. God sees you in all your boundary-breaking, binary-bashing, border-broadening glory. And because God blessed Ishmael, because God blessed and saw Hagar, God blesses you, the queer person, the queer kid, the gender non-conforming, the non-binary, the transgender, the gender expansive, the, bi the bisexual, the pansexual, the asexual, the straight but trying not to be so straight, God sees all of us in all of the ways that we say borders don't define us. We define borders. So be encouraged, friends, that if you are in the wilderness in whatever way that looks like, then it is way more than likely that God is there too. May it be so. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park, at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into a world that is too often unjust, knowing that the God that created you loves you and empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively, and serve creatively. Mm -hmm.